you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We continue our studies there. Uh, Again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, I'll begin reading in verse 26. In just a moment, I'll be reading through verse 39. Again, Luke 8, 26. Satan uh, has a prominent place in much of the uh, popular literature of uh, the Western societies. Uh, He appears early on, sometimes uh, rather seriously, other times rather frivolously, but he is there. I can remember in the course of my lifetime, uh, the subject of Satan and demons and uh, the occult coming to a place, I would say maybe of undue prominence, uh, beginning in the 1960s with the release of a movie known as Rosemary's Baby. Thankfully, I've never seen that movie, but I do know what it's about, about the occult and the incarnation of the evil one. But more prominently and more recently, on December 26, 1973, there was a movie released based on a book by William Peter Blatty, uh, supposedly based upon a true event. The movie in the book was called The Exorcist. And again, I've never seen the movie, but I do know what it's about. A little later on, in the late 1980s, a Christian author began to write works of fiction that depicted, at least as he saw it, this unseen but yet personified realm of evil. You may remember Frank Peretti's books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. I have read those. I think Peretti, along with the majority of the charismatic movement and uh, the word of faith movement, uh, goes a little bit too far in their understanding of the influence of demons. But we in the evangelical church would be unwise to dismiss as uh, frivolous and fictional the activities of the evil one and his minions, his associates. And so we're going to look at an account this morning, and Luke displays displays it very prominently, as do the other synoptic writers, Matthew and Mark, and it appears in this uh, section of the Gospels where these authors, particularly Luke, they are proving their point, their assertion that this one, Jesus Christ, is unique, He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And all things, all things, even this realm of evil, even these spiritual forces, even Satan himself, is ultimately under the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And so let's read this morning. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When 
he saw Jesus, he cried out, and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, him to let them enter these. And so they gave, he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothing, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for uh, the reality that it gives us insight, it gives us un uh, understanding of living in a fallen world. But most importantly, it gives us insight and understanding to the conquest accomplished by your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross at Calvary. May we never become obsessed and fearful by the reality of this evil realm. May we realize that if we know Jesus, we live in victory over all this evil, including the devil himself. Lord, may your truth resonate here this morning, and may we change. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This gospel writer, Luke, has mentioned, at least on two previous occasions, Jesus' interaction with Satan himself or with a demon or demons. We find that Luke reports in the book of Acts encounters that the apostles had with those that were influenced, that were demonized by demons. And so uh, it is here that we find uh, maybe the most detailed and prominent account of Jesus and his demonstration of his authority and his power even over Satan himself. And so we begin with what I call from a storm-tossed sea to a storm-tossed life. Now I say this with great humility and with a sense of a maybe, okay? But it is possible, and some commentators do assign the storm that Jesus calmed on the Sea of Galilee uh, there uh, in verses 24 and 25. They do assign 
uh, the origin of that storm to be from Satan himself. That, that because he knew that Jesus was coming and he was going to interact with this demon-possessed man, that he created that storm. The reason I say it might possibly be a, an association is that in the book of Job, when Satan is unleashed upon the man Job, part of what is used to destroy his life is a great wind that kills Job's children. And so, I don't know, but let me, let me say what I do know. That to whatever degree Satan has power over anything, over anything, anybody, anywhere, it is a delegated and limited authority that has been allowed by God Himself. In other words, even that which Satan or his demons would do fit into the ultimate purpose of God's sovereign plan. That is not to discount or dismiss that Satan is powerful, and my advice to you is stay away from him and stay away from his stuff. Okay? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Okay? But yet, we do not want to elevate Satan to a level that would assign to him co-equality with God. He is of the created order. And so I want to spend a little time on some background because my fear is that you've been too well informed by Hollywood and certainly the exorcist kicked off seemingly like a every year multiple major Hollywood movies that delve into this realm of the occult. It is a, a fascination for the culture. My honest opinion, it is a preparation for the appearance of the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness. I'll say more about that momentarily. But where did Satan come from? Well, let's be very clear. He is of the created order. It seems like what Jeff read in our Bible reading, along with a passage from Isaiah chapter 14, if you want to be, I'm not going to have time to read all of these. I've got quite a bit of material here. But Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, maybe, perhaps, gives us some insight into how evil came into the created order, most notably first among the chief angel and then other angels, and then ultimately came to infect the entirety of our world. It seems if, it, if one of the chief angels, whose name is Lucifer, was a part of or actually led a rebellion against God in which he's supposed to usurp the place, the glory, the prerogatives of God. And for that, he was damned and doomed. And he seemed to have a, a number of uh, associates, fellow angels. And Jude 6 and 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 seem to allude to the reality that in this rebellion led by this one very special and very powerful angel. He was joined by a multitude of other angels. 
and therefore they were cast out of heaven. Some of them seemingly already bound in a place of torment, but some of them allowed to roam within the realm of the earth and to wreak havoc on God's people, to to seek to oppose everything that God would do in His world, to frustrate the believer and, and to destroy, ultimately and finally, to claim for a devil's hell those who persist in their unbelief. So, Satan is created. Satan willfully rebelled against God. He was exiled from heaven and he seems to have been allowed a certain amount of access to the human race and we know that sin entered the realm of humanity because the serpent, the evil one, came to Eve and Eve seduced Adam into choosing and knowingly to rebel against Almighty God. They, like the serpent himself, saw the prerogatives of Almighty God, that is to decide that which is good and that which is evil. But God and God alone is the one who defines that which is good and right and true and that which is evil. Okay, And so, sin entered our realm. Evil entered our realm. These evil operators, these fallen angels, these demons and their lead demon, Satan himself, they are working in the world to put into motion the very schemes, the very ideologies, the very philosophy of Satan himself. Satan is alluded to in Luke 8.12, if you'll remember the parable of the soils. Who is the one who steals the gospel seed before it can take root in the life of one who would believe? You need to understand, and I use this term very advisedly, but if there is going to be evangelism, and there should be, it will be in the context of spiritual warfare. It will always be in the, in the company of spiritual warfare, okay? And that is the one thing that Satan surely wants to frustrate among God's people. In fact, Paul alludes to the reality that he blinds. He blinds the unbelieving world so they will not see the very glory of God in the face of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Satan works to oppose uh, the gospel and the proclamation of uh, the gospel. Uh, uh, he torments at times the believer, even the Apostle Paul. Spoke of something, he, we don't know what, a thorn in the flesh that he assigns as a, a messenger uh, from Satan to, to frustrate him. But even in that, what does Paul say? That, that in his weakness he's made strong, that, that, that he is humbled, that he understands there's a purpose even in the affliction of Satan himself. Old and New Testaments recognize that where there is uh, uh, idolatry or any type of false religion, it is in association. It is a, even a manifestation of demons. 
Paul can say that when you worship idols, when you offer sacrifices to idols, what are you doing? You're offering that sacrifice to demons. It seems as though that uh, in the final days of this age, that there will be a, uh, a demonic legion unleashed from the pit of hell under a lead demon whose name is Apollyon that will set in motion the, the final evil activities of this age and they will be ultimately and finally destroyed by the one who returns on the white horse and, and destroys them with the sharp sword of his mouth. But not before they set up an, an, an evil, evil regime that shall dominate the world. And again, we find these demons looking on and participating in this final uh, uh, confederation that will, again, oppose the people of God. Now, let me see if I can say some practical and applicable things before we get into the story at hand. In Ephesians 6, Paul speaks of the reality that as believers, we're involved in this spiritual warfare against this unseen evil realm that Satan has methods and schemes and strategies that he puts in motion in the world. I believe this has been the case since sin entered our realm. These evil strategies take the form of anything associated with the human race. We've heard a lot of talk in the, the last year about systemic injustice. Well, let me tell you something. There, everything about the system that we see that is of this world, in this world, has some connection with Satan himself. Now, is government ordained by God? Yes, it is. There's that aspect. But let me tell you something, even our government is influenced by Satan and his demons. There's a spiritual war going on. I think back to the, the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, and, and, and certain elements of, of the culture took advantage of that to emphasize the need to teach sex education to young children. That, is, that does not belong to the realm of the state, okay? But there was a great warfare over, again, this issue and the idea of the nor normalcy and the, the, that we should affirm sexual, sexual perversion. That all went into that. And that, so you see uh, the demonic realm there. In, in, even in, in the realm of business, you, you see... Uh, uh, just evil influences, corporations even with an evil agenda. I'm not saying commerce is bad. Commerce is good. It's a good thing. A, a strong economy is a good thing. But don't be deceived that there's not evil associated with that. I think one of the most obvious things that, that the Satan in his strategies has found a way to, to um, infiltrate and to inform and to use to accomplish his agenda is all forms of media. I mean, look what purports to be entertainment. I, I saw something 
this week, and I was not even aware of it, on social media about a television show that evidently is about the sexualization and sexual abuse of, of, of minors that, that is on one of the uh, streaming networks. Where does, this, where does this come from? This is the evidence of a fallen world under the influence of the evil one. How, how, how can a politician that is associated with a government ordained by God and supposed to be there for human flourishing, how can, we, how can that politician say it is a basic right for a woman to be able to kill a baby as he lives in her womb? How, how, can, how can that happen? And we, and, and we see this over and over and over again. And so, all of that's out there. And, and let me show you, uh, I think, one, one thing that I, that I guess may be my primary concern. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll try to tie this all up in a little parcel for you. As much as I hate what is the evil that's going on outside of the church, and I do, and we should stand against it, my primary concern is for the evil influence that gains a place in the church. Now, I'm sure that I'm dismissed and sometimes ridiculed for the passion I have about the truth and about doctrine. You know, there, there's this idea we can just believe anything we want, just, just so we believe anything, you know, just believe something, that's all that really matters. No, it's not. You better believe the truth. You better believe the truth. Notice what Paul says. Now the Spirit expressly says, he is making an emphatic statement that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. He is talking about what purports to be the visible church, that there will be doctrine taught in that church. Sometimes when I see these televangelists beginning all, going all the way back to Ernest Angsley and running right through Joel Osteen, I see a demon. I see demonic doctrine. And folks, it is weakening the church and it is preparing the visible church for what Paul describes, if you want to look there, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. When Paul describes this son of perdition, this, this man of lawlessness that will manifest himself in the last days. And here's what I believe is going on. A hollowing out, a training in the culture by the media, this fascination with the occult, this accepting all of this nonsense, and then the weakening of the church that they wouldn't know the truth if it bit them on the rear end. I'm telling you, the stuff that I see floating around that people affirm is true is absolute hogwash many times. You better know the truth. Because the church is being ripened for the moment that the, verse 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, the restraining, what's restraining the lawless one is going to be removed. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
and he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed when the Lord Jesus will kill the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing. The coming of the lawless one is in activity. In, uh, one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Church is fascinated by, by the miraculous and with wicked deception with all those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends the them a strong delusion so that they may be condemned. And Paul has already said to us, look back at verse 4, this one has done what? He's made his appearance in the temple of God. The evil one has made his appearance in the temple of God. How? Through this false doctrine, through the, through the lies, through the hollowing out of the church. What's the temple of God? Folks, I don't think it has a thing in the world to do with the structure on top of a mountain in Jerusalem. I really don't. I think, the what's the temple of God for Paul? It's the church. We are the temple of God. And Satan appears and manifests himself and infiltrates and dominates that which purports to be the church because the church is clueless. And that's what I see. That is my fear. It, I, yes, listen. I could, I could bite nails over what's going on in the culture. But I don't know what's above nails, but I could do more as to what's going on in the church or what purports, makes the claim of being a church that does not stand for the truth. We are being ripened. It's my contention that this final personification of evil, the Antichrist, will actually come from the church. That's what John says in 1 John. Even now there are many Antichrists, and he went out from us, and they, his associates went out from us. If they had really been one of us, they wouldn't have departed from us. And he warns us to do what? You better test the spirits. You better test. You better discern. How do you test them? Well, you know, that just, it just gives me such a good feeling, and it just makes me feel so good, and I just love that. You know, he smiles when he says all that. You better know the truth. You better know the book. Or, again, we're not, I don't want to chase a rabbit, but you're not going to lose your salvation. But if you don't love the truth, there's evidence that you don't have salvation. Okay? So you better check up and be sure. And better know your doctrine and be ready to stand because it's coming. It's coming. And it's here. So, that's your background and foreground related to Satan. Let's go back to our story. What an intriguing and dramatic story. After stilling the storm, Jesus arrives on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, or the region uh, associated with the Gerasenes, probably a Gentile uh, region. And upon landing there on the shore, he's met by a man described as having plural demons. He is a man who is debased, he is estranged from all of humanity, and he is absolutely enraged. He is known to be a dangerous individual. We're told that, that at times uh, that he would be shackled, and I believe the other gospel accounts speak, speak of chains even, that he would break because he had supernatural strength from being demonized. And so he comes, and he had been doing this evidently for a long time, and he lived out among the dead in the tombs. But when Jesus appears, this man, 
falls down before us, before Jesus, and asks of Jesus. Look at verse 28. Jesus, Son of the Most High. Now here, here's a, what I think is an interesting contrast. The previous episode, ending in verse 25, ends with the disciples asking the question, who is this guy? Speaking of Jesus. The disciples don't know, but the demons do. And I've said this for years. The, the demons believe, or James says it, the demons believe and they tremble. Many times the demons have better theology than those of us sitting in the pews. They really do. They don't believe it. I'm not saying they're saved or anything. I'm just saying they know it's true. And so, again, he recognizes that which even the disciples have not fully comprehended yet. And his fear is that that doom which is certain, namely an eternity in the abyss under, under the fiery judgment of God, would begin even right then and right now. And so, Jesus, without any holy water, holy oil, incantations, any, any crazy thing you can think of, what does he do? He tells the demon to come out of the man. And the demon does. And so, when, it, when Jesus asks what the name is, he finds out the name is Legion. Why? Because there are probably even hundreds, if not thousands, of demons. We're told when Jesus sends them out, when, he, when they're removed from the man, what do they do? They go into a herd of pigs, which again, ironically, unclean animals under the old uh, covenant. Uh, and so they run, or the demons go to the pigs. I believe it's Mark that tells us a herd of like 2,000. That's a lot of pigs. That's a lot of Boston butts and bacon, you know? In fact, I call this uh, dead pigs in the sunshine by the seashore. And Heath, you'll appreciate this. We had a little saying in Somerville, Georgia, that someone was as happy as a dead pig in the sunshine. Okay? And so uh, these pigs are now happy because they're dead pigs by the seashore in the sunshine because they've been delivered from the demons that drove them into the madness of running headlong into the sea. And so the herdsmen are shocked and appalled and amazed by what they saw. They, they just lost a whole lot of their net worth. Okay, they, they, they have just lost their means of survival. And these demons have, have ran and they have destroyed themselves. And so they, get, they go back to the city and even around the city and they begin to tell everybody what they had seen, what they had experienced. And so, the people then, look at verse 35, the people come to investigate. Now, I'm assuming, I'm assuming if you've ever walked around a pond or lake or seashore or whatever, it's not unusual to see a carcass, usually of a fish washed up on the shore. Can you imagine 2,000 carcasses 
What a, what a mess. What, what, what a mess. And so they came, and again, in, in all of that filth and mess, they recognized the economic disaster that had befallen them. And so they come and they find the man who had been demonized sitting at the feet of Jesus. Described there as what? Clothed and in his right mind. Instead of rejoicing, instead of worshiping the one who had authority and power over this evil realm, over these demons, worshiping the one that had delivered this man from a life of unbelievable misery, a, a misery that, that, that was so bad he would cut himself in his misery. And so, they come and they find the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And so, they're told how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and you would think, again, they would rejoice. What do they do? They ask Jesus to leave out of their fear. They ask Jesus to depart from them because of their fear of His authority and power. In a way, a little bit analogous to, the, you know, who is this guy? They were, they were afraid during the storm, but when they realized Jesus had stilled the storm, they were afraid of the one who had more power than the storm had. They were fearful of the man with the demon. They would, they would try to arrest him and bind him and keep him away. because he. Pro I can just imagine in the middle of the night, him screaming and people in the city be awakened by those shrill screams. And it terrified them, I'm sure. And they did everything they could to avoid this man. But now they wanted to avoid the one who had more power than the man or the demons that afflicted him. And they were terrified. They asked Jesus to leave. And so Jesus determines that that's what he would do. And the man that had been healed, he begged him that he might go with him. But Jesus gives him instructions. I want you to return to your home. And you tell everybody what's happened to you. John MacArthur calls this little section from maniac to missionary. It's a good title. From maniac to missionary. You go, you've encountered the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He has delivered you from the very presence of the, of the power of the evil one. Now you go tell folks. You go tell folks. I, I wish we had a record of some type of, of what this man did and, and what the impact was. I, I don't know. Uh, he's, he's lost to history as far as I know. But he did what Jesus told him to do. And he went away, and, here, and maybe this is one of the upshots. He didn't go away telling about the demons or the pigs. He went away talking about Jesus. He went away talking about Jesus. And so, as we think about this and the, and the reality of evil and the evil one. Let us never get obsessed with it. Let us never be frustrated, overwhelmed, fearful. Because Paul wrote in Colossians 2.15, he's disarmed. He has disarmed 
all of these unseen realms of evil. They have no power against those of us who believe. And so let us look to Jesus. We find again, Luke presents Jesus. He has authority in the realm of religion. He can establish or abolish tradition. He can teach doctrine. He has power and authority over nature. He can steal the waves. He has power over the demonic realm. He has power and authority over disease and death. This is our Jesus. And so, again, let us not get fascinated as the culture is with all of the occult things in our world. And, and again, it's here. It, it's here. Uh, there are those that proudly pronounce that they're, they're witches. There are those. Everything about the New Age movement is demonic. Okay? And so, let's see. Y'all don't look very offended today, so let me, let me do my best right here, kind of toward the end. I hear a lot of talk about the introduction of uh, yoga. Now, I understand it's breathing and stretching at some level, okay? And I encourage you, breathe and stretch and exercise a little bit while you're doing it. But true yoga comes right out of Eastern mysticism and it's demonic. And it certainly, for dadgum sure, doesn't need to be in public schools. It really doesn't. And, and, and again, that, that's the spiritual warfare, this, this introducing of these false philosophies and false deities and false practices that will catch some people in its snare. Because why? That's the design of the world and the world system. It lies under the power of the evil one. The evil one has a, a strategy. And, and, and folks, for the most part, it doesn't involve levitating off a bed and a spinning head spitting pea soup. Google that if you don't know what I'm talking about. Satan is far more subtle. Paul says he, he disguises himself as an angel of light. That's why he's so dangerous to the church. That's why my concern, yeah, it ticks me off what's going on in the culture. Of course, y'all know me, it doesn't take much to tick me off. So, but, but anyway. But what concerns me is the church and the way that we have let down our guards. One major denomination, which maybe, maybe, maybe got a little corrected a year or two ago, but I don't know. But they had a slogan, open hearts, open minds, open doors. Well, let me tell you something. What they meant by what they said, not only has Jesus left the building, but their brains have fallen out of their heads as well. Now again, we want to be as open as we possibly can. But we're not open to every wind of doctrine that blows through the culture. And so be, be, be on your guard. And be thankful, be thankful that our now resurrected Savior has accomplished the victory for us. And it is to Him that we render 
all glory and honor and praise. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the testimony to your power. Uh, Lord, there is nothing and no one in any realm that does not exist under your authority. And Lord, as it pertains to the believer, whatever affliction comes against us by the evil one, you will work it, as you did in the Apostle Paul's life. You'll work it for our good. Can he frustrate us? Yes, he can. Should we stay out of his wheelhouse? Yes, we should. But Lord, we thank you that we worship, we honor, and we're saved and kept by the one that's far more powerful than Satan. So Lord, we rejoice in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.